Hey guys, it's your girl, Joanna Barron. Welcome to the Love and Dividends podcast, where women get smart about money. We will share interviews and conversations about optimizing your finances, getting started with investing, and building wealth. So obviously, it's just me on the intro today. Leslie is in the woods somewhere without a serviceable internet connection. I'm actually away from home as well. I am in Austin, Texas, where I'm spending the summer, which is fun and a little nerve-wracking given the COVID surge here in Texas, but we are staying safe and having fun. Uh, So before I introduce today's episode, since it's just us, I just wanted to shout out those of you who have emailed, DM'd, connected with us on LinkedIn. We are going into our fourth month of this podcast, and when you start a new podcast, as many of you know, it really feels like shouting into the void. So please, we really want to hear from more of you. We want to hear what we can do to bring more value and wealth building information to you, who you'd like us to stalk to get on the podcast for an interview, if you would like to hear more of just Leslie and I one-on-one, and also pop over to loveanddividends.com drop your email address into our list because we are working on something very cool to send to our community very soon. So now for today's episode, which I absolutely loved, we are chatting with my personal favorite finance blogger, Sherry of Save, Spend, Splurge. She went from 60K in debt in 2006 to a work optional millionaire by age 36. And while now Sherry doesn't have to work, she is a STEM consultant and she keeps her personal identity anonymous so she can completely be transparent about her finances. So she tells us about how exactly she reached her net worth, including her current investments, advice on how she got to where she is, her take on fashion, blogging as a revenue stream and her career success by focusing on her focus. So we hope you enjoy and we'll talk soon. Okay, awesome. So we are here with actually one of my original, I didn't tell you this when I DM'd you on Instagram, Sherry, but you're one of my uh, original personal finance girl crushes. I found your blog. (gasps) That's so nice. (laughs) Thank Um, you. I think I actually found your blog. This is so random from, I think you posted on personal finance Canada Reddit. Um, What? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how I found your blog because I I was reading that sub I don't anymore and I was like wow this this woman really sounds like she knows what she's talking about so I found your blog um, and I've been reading it obsessively it's just so uh, granular and refreshing and blunt and uh, it's amazing so it's, uh, it's such a treat to have you on the Love and Dividends podcast well thank you for having me. And speaking of the blog, so I obviously learned about it from Joanna. Um, it's called Save, Spend, uh, Splurge. And it was formerly called Fabulously Broke in the City, which I also think is a very clever name. So do you want us to tell us a bit about the origin story of, um, of I guess, both blogs and, and sort of the mission there? Sure. So what happened was I was 60000 in student debt when I graduated. And I started a blog called Fabulously Broke in the City as a play off the words um, from the name Sex in the City, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. And instead of being, you know, fabulous in the city or sexy in the city, it was fabulously broke because I had no money. I was 60K in in the hole. And after I uh, started in that blog, I chronicled my journey out of debt, which I then achieved about 18 months later. And then I kept blogging on on it, but then it didn't really feel like me anymore because I was no longer broke. So I had to put quotation marks around the name broke. Um, And it just didn't feel like it was who I was any longer. So I got an offer to sell the blog uh, sometime in 2014. And uh, the guys bought that plus my other blog, The Everyday Minimalist. And I sold both of them off. And about two weeks later, I, I didn't do any blogging at all. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm missing something. There's like a hole. There's a void somewhere. I'm, I have so many things to say and I have nowhere to say them. 
So I started another blog, and this is now my permanent one, which is Save, Spend, Splurge, which really, I think, talks about how I see money. I don't see it as just you have to you know, live on beans and rice and, and hoard all your money until some indeterminate date in the future where you'd suddenly die with millions in the bank. You know, that's, that's not my style. I'm here about, I'm here to live and to spend my money and enjoy it. And that's why the blog is named the way it was. And so I originally started, sorry, go ahead. I guess to the fire blogger, as many people know, there's like a whole millennial fire scene where it's like, we're, we make six figures, but we only eat overweight <laughs> bananas and ramen because we save every penny. Yeah. That's, Insane. I'm yeah no that's that's I'm I know one of your rules is is not to spend is to live you know earn like a prince or princess I think and and save like or live like a pauper but earn like a prince or princess I think I, yes. I might be misquoting one of the rules no, so I know you have exactly a bit of a minimalist I like a, maybe a, a sprinkling of fire in there Yes, I do. I actually am all about financial independence. What I don't love about the FIRE movement is even if you've reached all of your goals, they still kind of secretly, not so secretly, judge you for spending your money on things that they consider frivolous. And what I really don't like is that a lot of things that are quote-unquote frivolous are usually female or feminine-oriented items, like shopping, like bags or clothes or anything else like that but then a guy can go and spend you know five thousand dollars in a year on scotch and whiskey or buying a really expensive car or a five thousand dollar macbook and nobody says anything or but like then i go boat. and buy because it's like for yeah. his business or something yeah we're yeah, doing it just whatever. to be pretty oh that's <laughs> off brand that's obviously we disagree too sherry yeah. <laughs> we are all about spending on on beautiful things yeah so that's exactly why you know i put splurge in there because i don't Love think it. anybody should police anybody about spending the money the way that, the way that they want as long as you hit your money goals i don't see what the big deal is about buying whatever you want whatever it may be i don't even know what people can spend their money on but i i know personally that i love style and fashion so a lot of my money goes there and i don't like it when people say things like well why did you spend three thousand dollars on a bag you know none of your business it's because I wanted to, and I could afford it, you know? <laughs> so, um, yes, that's, clean. That's, yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! You, you yeah, we can't famous. wait to hear. You have directly yeah. influenced some of my purchases. For example, this is just a specific example because I have not shopped J. Crew in years, um, but you had this uh, navy blue knit dress with like a polo collar. You know what I'm talking about? On your yes, I know exactly the one totally clicked and bought it it is the best dress ever so you have exceptional taste so we're going to talk about that at the end okay but i like I, what i spent a lot of time looking at on your blog was um, um i also did that but was how you sleep so i don't know maybe we'll get into that later too because you also okay. have a very minimalist style on the flip side you have yes, some interesting uh, suggestions in terms of bedding okay but we'll so that's we just wanted to wrap up though that's the blog sort of the origin story of yes. save spend splurge okay so um my next question for you that i am dying to talk to you about is your money story is <laughs> you talked about how you started out 60k in debt which is mostly student debt which is pretty standard actually and um some people have more student debt but what you have achieved that most people don't achieve is you are 36 or 37 maybe and you are not only a millionaire, but you are work optional. You don't have to work yes. to support yourself as well <laughs> as uh, your child, as well as your lifestyle. So um, share your ways, money maestro. Yes, <laughs> resonated with me. I, I know that student get debt game. I, I played that for a while. So, so but I, it, did, but it took I, me much longer than 18 months. So tell us your story. And I'm not a work option, no. no, okay. no. Well, the beginning part of it is just I had no clue about money when I was 23 and I graduated. So the only thing that I got as advice was in or an orientation day, an older gentleman stood up and said to everybody in this room, particularly you young folks, there is a wonderful company RRSP match or a pension match that you should all contribute to 100% because it's free money. That's all I needed to hear. I was like, free money? I'm in. I don't know what this is, but I'm going to figure it out. 
So I called HR that day, actually, and I said, what is this free money that they're talking about? <laughs> and then uh, they kind of walked me through a few basics. And then from there, it was a rabbit hole. I just started reading about money management and budgeting. I didn't even know what a budget was. I mean, I spent my last 2000 on my OSAP, my Ontario student loans on, you know, on paying, um, paying my first and last month's rent on this fancy apartment. So I had no clue about money at 23. And that rabbit hole is what led me to understanding that people who look rich aren't necessarily rich. Yes, they may look rich and they may actually be rich, but it doesn't mean that what they're wearing, what they're driving, where they're living talks or you know indicates anything about what they actually have in the bank, which is something that's kind of invisible. Nobody walks around with their net worth over their heads, right? So that totally changed my mindset. I thought, oh, that's a revelation. I had never heard that before in my life. From there, it just snowballed. I was, you know, gung-ho in my debt. And I, I really, I, I did the creative things. Like I lived out of my suitcase and traveled to cities and lived in the cities where I had projects. So I had my food paid. I had my shelter paid. And after a year, I gave up my apartment and just did that. I just lived in hotels in cities where I had projects. And some projects ended up being local. So then I had to move back home, pay my parents' rent. And I just got creative. Like, I just tried to find ways to think, how can I get rid of rent? How can I get rid of food? How can I get rid of, you know, all of my stuff? And that's what I did. So that paid off a good chunk of my student debt, about 40000 about a year and a half in, or a little, on, a little over a year, actually. Then an opportunity came, and the market was pretty hot for my industry. And I decided after um, rage quitting <laughs> at, a, at my job because they were unreasonable. And I wrote about this on my blog in, in detail. But I basically rage quit my job and said, I'm just going to try freelancing because I can't take this anymore. So I reached out to my network and I said, what should I charge? And they, they said, well, you know, you're pretty young. You've only got like a year and a half of experience. You can aim for maybe 100 an hour. I was like, okay, I'll take that. 100 an hour, that's 200K a year. So in doing so, I rage quit on the Friday, and the following Monday, I picked up a contract, which made me 90000 in three months. So that cleared off the rest of my student debt. So a lot of it has to be with, number one, being aware of my money and being financially literate, or at least teaching myself to be financially literate, because I had nothing to start with at 23. And then from there, once I got into that mindset and that creative, how can I save money? How can I make more money? That's when I started seeing lots of opportunities present themselves because I can tell you my mother had a heart attack when I told her on Friday that I quit my job. My steady, stable, $65,000 a year job for somebody who was barely 25 and I quit it. And she was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you going to do? I don't understand. Where are you going to make money? So um, I just took the risk because I thought, what could I lose? That I just live like a, a hobo for the next few months and I don't make it and then I just pick up another job at another company. I mean, there was really not much risk if you thought about it in a rational manner and a lot of reward to be gained and I hit it exactly at the right time. So that was luck and opportunity. And from there, it just snowballed. Like I just started, you know, I, I make about, I would say 20 to 30,000 a month sometimes more in some months. Like for instance, I worked for 10 weeks in one year and I made 130K. So um, all that money, I don't spend it. That's the other key with that financial literacy that I learned early on is that even though you make you know, X amount of money, you can't spend it all. You have to save quite a good chunk of it. And that's what I've been doing and not living it up like my other colleagues who make uh, similar amounts of money. They spend every penny, I don't. So that, you know, it's, it's a combination of everything. It's a combination of being financially aware and then also making a super high income, but also saving it and then deciding that you want a work-life balance. All of and that brought your, me to... And on your high income, just briefly, I know you don't, because you're anonymous, which allows you to be very <laughs> detailed about, uh, about your money situation, you work in STEM. So to anybody listening... And if you want to make 20 to 30K a month and get your <laughs> contracts, definitely look at STEM. Yes, yeah, science, STEM. technology, engineering, yeah. and math, and especially for women out there still sorely lacking. As a former engineer, I have to always give a plug. Uh, STEM is where it's at. Yeah, can you tell us about it? I'm also fangirling on, on engineering <laughs> stuff, so <laughs> say more. 
I would say that STEM is, is, is a great career choice for a lot of people. The thing is that to get into STEM, you, you have to also understand that you have to put in a lot of grunt work. So the very beginning was 100 plus hour work weeks when I worked for the company because I was doing extra stuff outside of projects. I was teaching myself everything I could. I couldn't, I mean, I didn't know anything. So I just wanted to learn everything. And I took a real interest in my job because I thought, if I'm going to do this, I better do this to be the best in my field. And that's what I did. Um, and from there, it kind of just, you know, evolved into having two specialties, which are actually quite rare in my industry. And those two specialties are the reason why I can charge a higher amount of money than than normal, I would say. Um, we the were, other we part were just of it too, talking about that skill stacking, which uh, no yeah. talks about that, you know, you might not be the best at, like, I might not be the best lawyer or the best philosopher, but I could be the best lawyer philosopher. And that is very lucrative. We are the best lawyer podcasters, for sure, I think. <laughs> safe to say. <laughs> okay, we are uh, learning. I like your growth mindset. Maybe you go back to that. Because that's what I'm hearing from you, Sherry, is like a real, a true growth mindset of how can I learn and, and grow and evolve and willing to work to well, do it. Yeah, I really and, admire and that. actually, you just have to try different things. People always ask me, how did you get into it? I don't know. I just took the job that paid me the most. Then from there, how did you, you know, develop two skill sets? I said, I don't know. I just kind of saw what people didn't want to do. And I said, I'm going to learn that because it seems like nobody wants to do it. It's pretty rare. People are getting paid lots of money for it. I don't see why I wouldn't give it a try. I mean, I'm pretty smart. I can do this. And I think that kind of confidence in saying, I'm going to take something that nobody really focuses on and seems to be very scared of uh, in general. And every time they say, I see my specialty, they say, oh, oh, that's really difficult. I, I don't even know where to begin. And I say, I know, but that's okay because, you know, I taught myself and and there's no documentation out there that formally teaches you what I know. It's, it's just it's just you have to just do it. You just have to go and you know take care of business and if, if you don't have that kind of i guess ambition to be the best at your job no matter what it is then i feel like you're going to be kind of you know stuck where you are if you don't think okay i'm going to crush this task that i'm being given i'm going to crush this role and i'm going to see what else can be offered to me based on my experience and my results that i get and i give the company based on what i'm doing now and then they can see my worth and maybe offer me a better position, a different role. I don't know. I mean, every it's, every path is different. So whenever people ask me what the secret sauce is to getting into what I do, I, I can't answer them. And it wouldn't be fair for me to do so because I started at a different time. I'm a different person. I, You know, there's so many factors and variables. And I always say this, focus on your focus. Focus on what you can do best and where you can shine and try and pick up as many technical skills as you can because that's what people don't want to touch. And that's, I think, the real key to everything is that you have to focus on what people don't want to do and then do it and be the best in it. That's it. That's the secret sauce. <laughs> oh, my God. I focus on your focus. I really like that. Um, because you're anonymous, too, I think we can ask this question, which is what are your current holdings? Where What is your asset allocation? How much... You know you're a millionaire um is in <laughs> equity i know i've heard you talk a bit about index funds um i know you maybe keep a lot in cash um or at least previously so do you want to would you mind taking us through your yeah. actual percentage sure. allocation and, and why you've chosen that and what your sort of future goals are because i know everyone even me with yes. a portfolio always have a goal later yes so i have about I would say under 5% in bonds or index fund bo holding bond holdings. Then I have about 10% in cash, which is about 100K because I have to have a, a buffer uh, for my business and also personally. Then the rest of it is pure equity. And out of that equity, half of it is index funds. The other half is uh, dividend paying stocks. And that's it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Minimalist. That's it. Um, but yeah. Sharon, one I, I keep it simple. I really enjoy in your blog is because I know you talk about dividend paying stocks, but you also talk about specific sectors that you invest in. And it just seems very logical to me. Like I remember one post where you said, well, I'm going to buy these energy companies because people are living in cities and people need energy. 
Um, for somebody who wants to take a step up from the sort of baseline index funds, which is a great start, by the way, and wants to buy dividend-paying stocks or individual stocks, I also know you um, you lend through Lending Loop, which is small business loans. Um, so if you wanted to sort of take the next step up beyond the couch potato investor, um, what are your sort of principles for looking at where to invest? So for divid- for index funds, I would say most people, if you're not somebody that can you know, look at a stock market every day or at least every week and kind of adjust your holdings and that sort of thing, stick with index funds. Don't play around with dividend stocks. You're just going to have a headache. Or you can buy index funds that have uh, dividends in them. So there's some funds out there that are uh, 100% dividend yielding uh, ETFs, for instance, or mutual funds. So that's also an option too if you don't want to individually pick stocks. I just do the individual picking because I don't love everything in, in the ETFs that are offered like all the individual companies that are there, some of them I, I want to stay away from, even though they can have you, a high you, yield dividend. Shame, shame yeah, right now? I was going to say, oh. is it because of their financially or is it because of social responsibility? Or both. both, maybe. So some of them, both. yeah, some of them, for instance, tobacco companies, I, I wouldn't invest in those because I just, I personally don't feel like it's a socially responsible thing to do. I also don't invest in um, any stocks that have too high of dividend yield. So anything over 5% makes them very suspect. I always think to myself, how can you pay more than 5%? I mean, this is not money that falls out of the sky. This is money that comes from net retained earnings after a company goes through their first year with their profits and expenses and so on. So, you know, dividends don't come out of nowhere. It's not free money. It comes out of the company's pocket. And if they're able to give a 10%, for instance, dividend yield, where is that money coming from? That's really high. In fact, that's kind of scarily high. And if you stick with index funds, you're still going to get dividends. I mean, out of the 500 companies in the S&P 500, some of them pay dividends. And I think the average dividend yield on an index fund for an S&P, S&P 500 is either 2% or 1.8 or something like that. It varies over the years. But you still get dividends if you just invest in index funds. So that's the point that I do want to make. The second point is that if I look for dividend stocks, I check the yield. I check to see if it's a company that is not trendy. For instance, I know everybody was on board with Tesla and they said, oh my goodness, you know, they went up this amount. And I know it's not a dividend yield, but that's an example. Um, they said this the stock tripled or went up 4,000% or some crazy number, but that stuff is trendy. So all of this stuff, right for me, it's trendy. It, it's it's a stock that if, if people talk about it, it's probably a stock you should avoid because <laughs> then it becomes too hyped up. Um, I like to stick to the un- the very unsexy stocks. So uh, banks, anything to do with energy, like electricity, anything to do with what people actually need, because we can see, for instance, during the pandemic, people were staying at home. Electricity electricity companies are doing well. You know, telecommunication companies are doing well. You know, think about stuff that people need to, to use in a, a society regardless of what happens um, and that's that's kind of my approach towards picking individual dividend stocks um, i also have a post on the blog that goes into detail but that's the general ideas i don't look for anything that that just based off dividend yield we i also will, look we for that link the post i guess the, my one <laughs> counterpoint to just play devil's advocate to your very sensible uh, philosophy look at what people need is isn't the point of technology that they expand the frontiers of what people need? Like, did people need iPhones ten years yeah. ago? Um, and maybe people are going to feel that they need electric cars. Um, and clearly, people think that people are going to need blockchain currency. So just, just to absolutely, yeah. But they I mean, to, to that point. <laughs> That one I'm I need it, but I don't have, yeah, I'm having a little bit of trouble. I need heat and Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but sorry, about, go, on. go on. I was going to say, to your point about the um, electric car thing, that's great. But also, maybe not everybody, for instance, can afford an electric car. But what they could afford is having the infrastructure of governments and cities uh, investing in renewable energy resources. So that is where I put some of my money into places where they they focus on solar energy or wind power, because that seems to be the future. For sure, electric, for me, is the future. There's no doubt about it. Gas is going to disappear for cars, but I'm thinking more of a broader scale 
um, idea that you know if a, if a city can change to be more renewable and more green who would they go to what companies would pay out dividends and also be a renewable energy resource and not just focus on a very sexy electric car company you know and so i mean that's that's kind of where i, I just don't like trendy stocks basically i i try to think of what people or what governments would actually spend their money on because it really seems to me that that's where the money is not necessarily in consumer goods although i eat my words when i think of coca-cola but you know <laughs> yeah. I, you know it's 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 a personal preference thing i i i just kind of look through all the dividend etf holdings and then i cross off the ones that don't seem to have had a very good return on capital over the past 5 years or 10 years for instance if I see that the stock price has gone down in the past five to ten years, it doesn't seem like it's it's going to be able to last longer, even though their dividend yield is very high. Because I think a lot of dividend oh. investors get sucked into looking at just the yield. But what does it matter to get you know two dollars a year if your stock is losing five dollars a year, right? So that's you know another rule. <laughs> yeah, totally. that's cool. Okay, I actually had so not thought of that. Let's talk about you being the CEO of multiple income streams. You have 12 side incomes. <laughs> um, I mean, some of them are modest. Some are things like Rakuten and Swagbucks and things like that. But um, one thing I noticed is that I think I counted you have probably four revenue streams emanating from your blogs. You have ebooks, uh, you have ads, uh, probably affiliate income as well, coaching. Um, but just in general, if somebody wanted to start building in additional revenue streams, which is obviously a great thing to do, it's very securing, um, where do you think people should start if they have full-time jobs um, and they don't have time to like, you know, start a side business? Uh, any thoughts I can tell on that? And is, is it still a good <laughs> idea to start a blog or is the time for that kind of past? I don't think the time for a, a passionate voice in the blogosphere has ever passed. I really think that if somebody has a unique voice that is interesting and people actually want to hear what you say, I feel like you can start a blog at any time. And it, the real trick with blogging is that it's it's a full-time job. I mean, let's not make any bones about this. This is, this is a full-time, 40-plus hour a week thinking about ideas, writing ideas, finding pictures, taking pictures. I mean, it's, it's time intensive. I would say that style blogging, which I tried briefly in a short two month period back in 2009 or whatever, um, style blogging, blogging is the most time intensive blogging I've ever come across. Um, then from there, if you're just writing ideas from your head, like I do, then it's, it's pretty quick. Like I can bang out probably five posts in about four hours and i blog and i'm scheduled until the end of 2020 so <laughs> i you, i just you i type fast batch written all of your posts the, oh yeah the wow yes i'm completely like, because i just i have so many ideas like it's just i every i walk somewhere and i think oh that's cool i wonder if i did a cost comparison analysis on that what what would happen you know so you know you just have ideas everywhere you go or via conversations or somebody messages you something and if you're just writing and you're just putting out thoughts out there, then it's not that time intensive. What takes time is taking pictures, modifying them, photoshopping them, you know, making it look pretty, any, anything that's very aesthetic driven. Um, so I, I really think that, you know, starting a blog is still not irrelevant. I mean, I, I think that, you know, doing that is, is a great idea for a side income. The thing is that you have to be consistent. If you're going to blog and you're going to do it every day, you better stick to that schedule. If you decide you can't handle that and you can only do one post a week, then do one post a week. Don't try and overreach thinking the more posts I do, the more you know people and money I'm going to get. That's not true. People are going to come every Friday to read that one post you do a week if they find your voice interesting. So that's, you know, not to discourage people, but you have to be consistent. Then the other side of it is that you have to be willing to teach yourself a lot of things. I don't have a team. I've never had an assistant. I've never hired anybody in my life to help me do any of this because this is just really a hobby. This is not really something that I'm focusing on as, as an actual job. Um, but you have to be able to teach yourself and spend the time in learning how to do a little bit of you know coding and this sort of thing. And that's something that 
I think if you're not willing to do, it can be a little bit difficult to, to start a blog and make it a side income. For the other um, income streams, some of them are just easy. You know, I just stick my money into a high interest bank account and I make money. You know, there's not much to do there um, or dividends. You know, I, there's not much to do there. You just need capital. Uh, the, the stuff that's time intensive is definitely the blogging, I would have to say. And then getting the readership, which comes from consistency in posting and making sure that you also tie it up to at least one social media platform, be it Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Um, I, I simply don't have the time or resources to handle all three of them, so I just focus on Instagram. But Yeah, do you have it's, any it's suggestions, just, by the way? And I know you have an ebook about this, but a few, yes. I noticed your Instagram has massively grown in the last year or two. <laughs> I think since I, I started reading your blog, you had maybe 700 followers a year or two ago. Yes, now, I did. So, so uh, uh, we will buy your book, but any quick tips on that? <laughs> um, again, Wait, and how many do you have now? Uh, 14.6 thousand. Whoa. So 14.6 K. Exponential yeah. growth pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. that's hot. And in about, I think I went from 1,000 or 2,000 followers to 10,000 in six months. But a lot of it is just consistency. Again, if you're going to be posting, it better be cute because if it's Instagram, it's going to be visual. So you have to learn how to create some of these cute images or find stock photos and and then you have to have a unique perspective or a voice on what it is you want to post about because you have to treat Instagram like a microblog, but a visual microblog. If people, you know, scroll past their feed of a thousand posts and they, their eye rests on yours and then they click and actually read the caption, which I'm pretty sure only 20% of people do or less, um, that's you've already hit the mother load. But if, if you just have a boring image or something that's not interesting to say and people just scroll past it. You know, and, and it's, it's getting engagement there, but then also engaging with others in the community to also bring uh, others, make others or, you know, have them share your posts so that you also reach their followers. So a lot of it has, it has to be with you know, networking and, and not in a slimy way, but, you know, just messaging and saying, hey, you know, I really liked your post or sharing posts of other people and putting a small commentary on there or trying to figure out from your insights what works. And what doesn't work? What what posted people like? I can tell you that every time I post anything Canadian related, oh my gosh, it's like crickets. People do not like Canadian specific posts. I gotta tell you, they just even, hate them. even Canadians. What? I thought it would go the other way. Yeah, I was gonna be like, oh, what a hot no. tip. We'll post about Canada. No. Oh, <laughs> hard God, no. No. Oh my. No, no, hard no. All all of my wow. Canadian content stuff, I, it it does about fifty percent of a generic post like a generic quote that I post or something that then I do a caption on, I can tell you it gets like 300 likes, but then Canadian content, 75. <laughs> Nobody likes wants to hear about Canada. <laughs> Blame Canada. Yeah. yeah, so I'm like, oh, is this, should I just stop posting about Canada? But I can't, so I, I'm just going to do it anyway because some Canadians find the post interesting and helpful, so I'm going to keep doing it. I don't, I'm not doing it for followers. <laughs> So, I mean, you said you sort of tried your hand at, at style uh, posting, but we know even in the blog, you talk a lot about style and fashion. You've said that they have a bad rap for being vain and frivolous, but that, in fact, they impact our lives and money more than we think. So tell us a bit about that and get into the good fashion chat. <laughs> well, the thing about style, I find that it's a very female domain, and anything that's female oriented tends to be looked at as frivolous. Let me just name off a few things. Beauty, skincare, style, uh, you know, aesthetics, all of that stuff. People are like, oh, that's not, that's not really, you know, useful. I don't, I don't see how practical it is to carry around a $3,000 bag. But if you think about it, it's one of those things where anything female oriented is looked down upon because the eye that is looking down upon it is male. So guys have zero interest in fashion. They don't understand a $3,000 bag, but they'll understand a $3,000 laptop. So if you talk about laptops and all that, they're like, no, 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 that's useful. That's for the business. That's for working. That's for emails. But that's not really true. They're just watching YouTube videos, but, but and they get pleasure out of it, right? But, you know, carrying around a nice purse, I get pleasure out of it. So how is that any different from spending $3,000 on a laptop or a really, you know, 
expensive budget for whiskey in a year. I don't see what the difference is. It's the same 3000 It's just that women get judged more harshly for that spending because it's female-oriented and society is extremely male-dominated in terms of filtering who can be in what industries and so on. I mean, if we even just look at cooking, for instance, I'm a huge Top Chef fan and a huge foodie kind of person. And I've noticed that a lot of female chefs keep saying, I can never get a leg up in the kitchens because I'm a woman. But yet at home, women are looked at as the ones who do all of the cooking for home cooking. But when you get into professional sphere that's outside of the home, suddenly it's a man's game and all the chefs are men. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's one of those things where just because it's female dominated or oriented, it's not looked at as being important. So that's why style gets a bad rap. But if you think about it, anywhere you go, fashion or style says a lot about you. You meet somebody in a uniform, a firefighter, let's say, a security guard. Immediately they have an air of authority because they're wearing a uniform. They're wearing something that signals that they're different and they're not just some random, you know, Jane walking around you know, <laughs> um, walking their dog. You know, if, if she has a uniform on and she's a police officer, you're going to be a little bit more careful with your driving and <laughs> you're not going to have the speed at, at 100 kilometers because you see the uniform and that visual cue tells you a lot or you make a lot of assumptions about that person based off their uniform. So style is exactly the same thing. I have worked with colleagues, mostly women, I would say, that just dress in the most terrible outfits because they think they have to dress like a man to be taken seriously, but that's not true. So I see them in those horrible polo shirts with those chinos and flat rubber shoes, exactly what a guy would wear. And I think that looks terrible on you. That doesn't make you look more professional. It just makes you look like you're trying to be a man. And that's what the 80s tried to do with their you know, power suits and their huge shoulder pads. But women these days, I think you can still wear a dress a fitted dress, obviously not showing a ton of cleavage, you're not going clubbing. Um, and you can wear heels, but maybe not, you know, seven inch <laughs> platform heels. And, and you can dress the way that you want and still look professional because it's, it's a visual cue. When you look at somebody who wears a really amazing dress with great heels, you look at her outfit and you think, wow, she looks amazing. And already you, you have a warmth towards them because you think she looks confident she knows how to dress herself. She must know what she's saying. So when she's giving a presentation, I'm going to listen to her. But if it's somebody just walking in, doesn't look like they've done much, you know, their hair is up in a messy, scrunchy ponytail. They're shuffling in with some rubber shoes and you know, polo shirt and chinos. And, and then they're trying to, to show authority. I don't feel it. I, do, I, I kind of have this slight bias just based off how they're dressed, which sounds really vain and superficial, but I do. And we all have this, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, but we look at how somebody dresses and we take a visual cue from them. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to spend thousands of dollars on a great outfit to look amazing because you can buy secondhand and you can mix and match with different you know, brands to get the look that you want. But you have to be conscious about what you're doing in terms of how you present yourself to the world. And then if you're in an, a negotiation, you're in a new interview, would you show up in sweatpants to an interview? You wouldn't. You'd wear a suit. And not only that, you intrinsically feel better when you show up in the you know, amazing dress with the great heels or an amazing suit. You walk in, you're confident. You're thinking, I look amazing and I'm going to crush this interview and get this job. And that's the way that you should always feel, not just for interviews. So I, style seems really frivolous, but it's really not. It's, it's, it's how you present yourself to the world. And if you're presenting a sloppy image of yourself to the world, well, that's what they're going to think of you, whether you like it or not. Even if people can look so-called, quote unquote, look past all that and think, well, is she a nice person? Does she, you know, does she really have money in the bank or is she just buying all of these nice clothes on credit? I don't think anybody thinks like that. You know, a very small subset of, of our society, all these people who talk about money, yourselves and myself included, we're a small percentage of society. Most of society just looks at what people wear and, and thinks, oh, they're successful or they're not. And if you want to be somebody who gets ahead, you have to look success successful, like you can do the job. And as a freelancer, I really feel this. I can't show up to a client site looking like I'm just in sweatpants and rubber shoes and 
flip-flops, you know, it, it just, it's unprofessional and it doesn't give a good image of who I am and my capabilities. And then, of course, I have to prove it, right? I actually have to deliver the results of what they're paying me for. But the, the initial impression, the initial package has to be there. And I think that goes for freelancers especially, but anybody else, real estate agents, salespeople, employees. I mean, it's, I think it, it, it affects us more than we want to admit. Um, but I think also that people think that style means you have to spend a lot of money and you don't. So, me by second hand. <laughs> yeah, Sherry, can you uh, elaborate on that? Because I feel like you are preaching to me. I definitely was someone who thought uh, style was very frivolous. Um, but I think what helped me is sort of what you're talking about is the difference of function and form. So I always was like, if it's functional, you know, who cares what it looks like? And what I came to learn is that actually having a beautiful form then has a function. So as you say, showing up, looking really put together, um, makes you feel good, gives you more confidence. I'm totally here for it. So how did you go about or how would you um, tell someone who's maybe newer to this and didn't put that much value on it prior um, to start putting together that high-end or looks high-end or really put together, you know, fashion or style? Pinterest. I have to tell Pinterest. you. Pinterest. <laughs> yeah, Pinterest. You cool. can search for stuff. Yeah, just, just take, go to Pinterest. Find what looks you like. Find style bloggers you like, Instagrammers you like. Look at what you like in their outfits and think, oh, is it because it's all neutrals? Is it because it's bold and printed? Is it because they have amazing statement jewelry? You know, start thinking about all the different things that go into the outfits of the people you think are that look professional and look put together and try and basically steal their style elements and take them for your own and then find it on a cheaper budget. So for instance, I'm obsessed with Meghan Markle's wardrobe, I gotta tell you, but her stuff is expensive. And she wore this amazing green Givenchy outfit that was forest green with little pockets in the front and, and um, gold button details. And when I Googled that it was Givenchy, I knew that it would be a $5,000 outfit. And I was not gonna spend 5,000 bucks on a top and a skirt. So what I did was I just found cheaper options. I went around looking for something similar, like military green forest skirt outfit of the day. And then that's how I, that's what I typed into Google or into Pinterest. And then I tried to find alternatives that would give me a similar feel and a vibe, but on a much, much, much lower budget. Um, the other point I want to make too is that you have to also somewhat pay for quality. Now, if you're going to try and make an outfit out of Walmart polyester, it's not going to look as good as if you buy something in a better fabric, a better quality, for instance, in silk, in cotton, in linen, all more natural fabrics. And if you pay slightly more, so I'm talking above the level of H&M or the now bankrupt Forever 21, their stuff doesn't last. So if you want to really have quality pieces that look good and make you feel good, sometimes all you need is just one great dress that's a couple hundred bucks, and it's probably more than you've ever thought about spending on a dress in your life, but you're gonna wear the hell out of that dress. You're gonna wear that dress every single time you wanna feel like a badass, which should be every day. And instead of picking up you know, a crappy polyester wrap dress from H&M that was $50, and you put it on, you think, oh, you know, I like it, it works, but I don't feel great in it. You know, I'd rather have one amazing $300 dress than you know, six crappy dresses that make me feel meh, right? So, I mean, think about quality, think about buying it secondhand. I wish I'd known this when I was younger because I spent so much money on clothes at retail. If I had started buying secondhand designer clothes, you get amazing pieces with the highest quality possible for a fraction of the price. Yes, it's still a couple hundred bucks for the dress, but that dress used to cost $4,000 and it's gonna look it. It's going to look like 4000 bucks on your body. It's not going to look like a couple hundred dollars. Or even better, you mm. thrift it. You get it for $10. You think, you know, and, and I, I'm so guilty of this. I wear a really nice dress, and it was originally $4,000, let's say. But I paid, you know, $50 for it. Um, and somebody would say, oh, I really love your dress. I'll say, oh, thank you. It was $50. Like, I feel the need to tell them how cheap it was. That's <laughs> I would do that. I would also be like, and it has pockets. 
Yeah, I and show them. pockets for snacks. <laughs> pockets for snacks. I got, I got it thrifted for seven dollars at Goodwill. Like I'm, I'm just like, Bleh! <laughs> how much? <is> it? <laughs> because, <laughs> and I really should just zip my mouth, but I don't. So, <laughs> but if it's a very expensive dress and I did spend, you know, four hundred dollars on it, I'm not going to say, oh, it was four hundred bucks. You know, I, I won't say it. That's but if it's funny. a really nice dress and it was under a hundred, then I'll tell them. I'd be like, it was under a hundred, and they're like, oh my god, how did you do that? I would say, goodwill. <laughs> Because um, it's like a fine. We'll post a link to the real real, which I know that you shop a lot on. Um, but actually, are, I don't. Oh, you don't Not the shop real real. Oh. real real anymore. No. Oh. Because, uh, yeah, where do you actually, find these things? Uh, thrifted. So I had a Goodwill Salvation Army. Uh, Poshmark Canada has been amazing like lately for finding. Yeah. Oh my goodness, so good. Big um, fan. Posh, Poshmark, such a fan, and uh, with my my username or code sherry ish that's me um you can get 15 dollars as a credit too if you want to start shopping there uh and i also like shopping on ebay ebay is surprisingly amazing for finding great things and etsy etsy has a lot of nice vintage pieces and also a lot of uh, knockoff looks to, to get you know that the high-end look that you like and then individual retailers for instance mm leffler is a u.s company and very difficult to get in canada but i have a secret you know secret uh, mule <laughs> in the U.S. that reships things up to me. Um, but they're amazing, and they can be found on eBay a lot, as well as on Poshmark on occasion. Uh, you just have to, you know, start looking at different brands and not looking at just uh, brands that you see or really high-end stuff. You know, look for obscure brands, and that all comes back to Pinterest and Instagram because people like me will post the brands of what we've worn there, and then from there you can go down the rabbit hole of, deciding to buy something from the fold you know or whatever brand that catches your eye okay amazing so let's uh wrap up with our money wins so okay it is something you save money on something you spend money on save spend splurge maybe <laughs> to save is spend or splurge yeah, yeah. um <laughs> one this week uh, this week my money win would be that i saw a 60 dollar service charge and I thought, what the hell is this? I did not sign up for any service charges because I think they're, I loathe service charges. And I think that they're stupid fees, as in fees you pay when you're stupid. Um, and I called the bank and I said, what is this fee? And they said, oh, you signed up for this checking account. And I said, I did not. I signed up for this other checking account that actually has no fee. And I uh, badgered them into, badgered them nicely and politely with a lot of honey into reversing the service charge. So I got 60 bucks back. <laughs> that was great. Nice. Always it's a win. Small. Yeah, your bank will work. Huge win. Yeah, love it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I have two little, so I'm actually in the US for the summer, which means great online shopping. So I have <gasps> clothes related money wins. Um, mm -hmm. And one is yeah. a brand that I found about found out about from you. So it's called Kuyana, uh, C-U- y-a-n-a -A. so it's kind of like a step up from everlane really beautiful stuff was not on my radar before but the thing is <laughs> sorry never i know it's like all these brands that i want to buy stuff from that i never would have heard of um but their stuff never goes on sale however they had a flash sale last week i guess to clear covid related uh, stuck inventory so i just got my order so i got a half moon shaped beautiful pebbled leather bag um, for I know the one bucks. you're talking about yeah and I, I splurged an extra $15 to have it monogrammed with my initials so worth it <laughs> um, and I beautiful. got this little navy linen wrap dress which is just the perfect uh, summery but still elegant and then the other brand that I just want to shout out that I've been buying from the last two years from Etsy is called Love and Confuse they are a Lithuanian tailor shop. They have the most beautiful linen. The thing with linen is it has to have some weight to it or it just gets rumpled really easily. Um, but beautiful linen just looks elegant. The more you wash it, the softer it gets. So they have just beautiful pieces, very reasonably priced. Um, check them out. I got about four pieces this year. You can get matching like top and pants or shorts and beautiful colors beautiful jewel toned colors so um my summer wardrobe is hopefully sorted um <laughs> but uh yeah so those are my money wins i'm a neighbor <laughs> 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 
to and be like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> love it. Um, on, so on the note then of, of clothing, etc. Yeah, I'm a, I got into, you know, having nicer pieces, which means then you also have to get into caring for them via dry cleaning, etc. Um, so I don't know if this is just a Toronto thing or if it's elsewhere, but laundry concierge is a new service in a lot of condos, including mine, where, and it's so COVID friendly, where essentially you put in your dry clean stuff and anything that needs repairs, put a code in the locker, and then they pick it up, dry clean it or repair it. You just put in the notes what to repair and then bring it back. Um, it's a, it is definitely, it's definitely Toronto based. It's definitely a local business because then they send back a summary of the repairs. And then I called and was like, oh, I don't know about this one. Maybe this piece has seen its day. And it was just the owner being like, yeah, okay, no problem. Yeah, I'll reduce that price. Thanks for supporting local businesses. So in terms of caring for your pieces, and I guess I'm just getting excited to maybe go back into work and wear some of my suits again. So I want to make sure everything was well cared for, but I really liked that service. And then they leave it all. They fixed like a silk dress that I had. They, yeah, did a nice job cleaning, very reasonable price and very friendly in terms of COVID. Cause there's, we'll do drop and go for Montreal and we'll do laundry concierge uh, for any Toronto listeners. That's a good a huge idea. Fan. Oh, it's brilliant. Whoever came up with that and the service was fan. The service was fantastic. Because I just was chatting with him, being like, what do you think about this? It was like a cashmere sweater, brother detailing. And he's like, I don't know. You know, it might not be worth it for you to repair it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally, totally. Put a belt on yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. So big fan, and we'll post a link. Amazing. Great. Okay, well, Sherry, it has been such a pleasure to chat. Um, thank you so much for being such thank a you for having and provocative me. voice. You are really like an expander and role model for many women, uh, myself. I'm included. blushing. <laughs> thank uh, you. <laughs> okay, well, we'll sign off with love and dividends. Love and high yield dividends. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and Dividends podcast. If you got value from this podcast, please share it with another woman who could benefit from the information that we shared. And please consider rating us and leaving us a review on iTunes. It really helps with new podcasts. If you have questions about finances and investing, have suggestions for future topics or guests, please let us know. You can shoot us a DM on Instagram, love and dividends, or you can send us an email at hello at loveanddividends.com. With love and dividends.